Let me set up a scenario for us to consider. You get to have access to an influencer, a cultural influencer. Who would you choose? If you were in a situation where you could have access, and the kind of access you would have would be that a friend of yours would be part of the influencer's inner circle, and that that friend of yours could go in and speak on your behalf to whoever that cultural influencer would be, who would you choose? Would it be someone in politics, President Biden, President Trump? Would it be um, Majority Leader Mitchell or Speaker of the House Pelosi? Would you pick a different kind of cultural influencer, maybe somebody like a, a Spielberg or a Charlie de, Mil, de, de excuse me, Charlie D'Amelio? Would you choose someone like the manager of your favorite baseball team or somebody like a Beyonce or a, a Harry Styles? Who, who would you choose to be the one that you would have access through a friend of yours? And if you did have that access, what is one favor that you would want your friend to ask of that person? Let's say it's Warren Buffett. What's one favor you would want your friend to ask on your behalf? Well, that kind of a scenario sets up the kind of situation we discover in our passage today. We began a sermon series this past week, where we're, which we have called, When Jesus Prayed. And when we look at John 17, John 17 is, is part of this larger piece of, uh, of Scripture that goes from John 13 through John 17, the upper room discourse. And in John 17, we find Jesus praying. And the prayer has three parts to it. First, Jesus prays for himself, what we refer to as the son prayer. And then Jesus prays for his disciples, the 12 who followed him, actually the 11. Even now he's aware that Judas is going to betray him and, and that in doing so he'll fulfill Scripture. So he's really praying for the 11. He's praying for these 11 disciples, the disciple prayer. And then Finally, and we'll talk about this next week, but he prays for the church, for all of us, uh, those, of, uh, those who would believe through the ministry of the eleven. So today, what we're going to look at is the disciples' prayer, and our text is John chapter 17, verses 6 through 19. I'm going to encourage you, please open up your Bible, the one you brought with you. Feel free to make use of the ones we have in the rows. We'll also put it on the screen. Uh, we'll capture uh, part of verse 1 just to set the context, and then we'll uh, read 6 through 19. Let us hear the word of God. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. May God bless the reading of his word. And may God show his favor upon us as we come under his word today. All right, so today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about the who, the what, and the why. For whom does Jesus pray? What does he pray for them? And why does he pray those specific things? Let's begin with the who. Let me paint another little scenario for you. Let's say you're, you're on a large uh, airplane. You know one of the large airplanes that has four seats in the center section of the economy uh, part of the plane? In fact, you're sitting in one of the middle seats in the center section of that large aircraft. And then... 12 Middle Eastern men walk on to the plane. Immediately, one of them is hauled away. He's a known thief, and he's being taken away because of he's uh, been involved in a murder. The other 11 sit down all around you, four of them right in front of you, four of them right behind you, and you have two on one side and one on the other side. It turns out that a, uh, a few of them are involved in the fishing industry. One of them is a low-level government contractor with a reputation of skimming off the top, not being very trustworthy with finances. Then there's one who's a religious nationalist. You're not really sure about the professions of the other. And here you sit in the midst of them. What would you think of them? How would, how would you perceive them? Have you ever been in one of those situations where, where you can see things or you hear some things and, and you begin to make assumptions about the people around you and then, and then eventually you come to know something more about them and, and the person you thought they were is not even clear to who they really are. And it turns out that these, these, these 11 Middle Eastern men for whom Jesus prays actually have something to their identity that we might miss if we move through our passage too quickly. So let's, what I want us to do is we wanna, I want us to explore the identity of these 11 Middle Eastern men, the people for whom Jesus prays in this section of Scripture. We're going to look at two parts of an identity. There's, uh, um, the first part that we're going to look at happens to be their God-given identity. 
you'll see on the slide, and hopefully it shows up, you can see that at the bottom I've printed uh, the text of the passage for you. Um, I'm trusting you have really good eyesight. Uh, no, it's simply that I've highlighted in a different color the verses that pertain to the list that you see on the right side of the screen. The right side actually captures their God-given identity and um, describes it for us. There's at least eight pieces that come to us. Let's just list them quickly, and then I want to circle back and talk about just a couple of them. So here they are, the, the eight things that, that um, uh, we find in our passage about the God-given identity. By the way, we know in our culture that government sometimes is involved in substantiating our identity, right? We can go in and we can get a passport, or we can get a driver's license, and the state is saying, yes, this is who that person is. We know that in our world that we can earn our identity, we can, we can go about certain choices in our life, uh, certain career paths, the way we treat people around us, and we can earn our identity. We know that in our culture that there's something about having our identity stolen, but when it comes to being given an identity, that seems to be reserved for either spies or people in the witness protection uh, group. But here, Jesus acknowledges that these 11 Middle Eastern men have been given an identity by God. The first thing we find is that God the Father gave these 11 individuals to God the Son. In fact, this is mentioned in verses 2, 6, 9, and 24 in our passage. And repetition in Scripture seems to be one of those things that where it says, hey, pay attention to this, look at this. Jesus underscores, listen, Father, you've given them to me. They are given people from the Father to the Son. We also find out that Jesus manifested God's name to them. Jesus manifested. He, he revealed to them. They've, they received from Jesus God's name. We'll come back to that. Jesus gave them God's word. That's in verses 8 and 14. They belong to the Father and to the Son, verses 9 and 10. Jesus is glorified in them. We find out in verse 12 that Jesus kept and guarded them. We'll come back to that. We find out in verses 14 and 16 that they are not of this world because they're now included in the kingdom of heaven. And then finally, they, we find out in verse 19 that they are beneficiaries of Jesus' own consecration. We'll come back to that. So we have those three things I said we'll come back to. Name, the idea of being kept, and the idea of being consecrated. Jesus says that he manifested God's name to them. We know that a number of times in the Gospel of John, especially, where, where Jesus goes, listen, these aren't my words, they're the Father's words. These aren't my actions. All I'm doing, I'm doing the will of the Father who sent me. So Jesus says, I have manifested your name to them. I have revealed, Father, you to them. In, in Scripture, when it talks about a name, it, it's not just the name. It, it, it's the character of the person. Jesus saying, I, mess, I manifested your character 
to them. We've mentioned Google Maps, I know, before and here, and an incredible resource, right? So we have the ability, at least the way my car works, I, with Android Auto, I can plug in my phone and I use Google Maps, and it, it shows me the way. I can punch in my destination or I can speak it in, into the car. <laughs> Please take me. And, and it, it'll, it'll provide the way for me. And it shows me the path. It, it even tells me if there is a, uh, a speed trap on up ahead. Um, not that I would ever need that, um, but that it tells me. It tells me the way. Well, in a similar way, that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, listen, I have shown them the way. I've, I've revealed your character. I've, I've revealed your way to them. This is part of their God-given identity. They know the way. Then we find that Jesus kept and guarded them. This word kept, teleo, it's the Greek word, teleo. The, the noun form of that word happens to mean uh, uh, warded. And so the verb form of it means to watch over, to keep one's eye on, to, to, to keep and to guard, to keep one's eye on, to watch over. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've given me these disciples, you've given me these individuals, and, and I have watched over them. I've kept my eye on them. That's their identity. They are the ones that I've kept my eye on all the way. I showed them the way, and I've kept my eye on them and guarded them in that way. And then finally, when we come to this word consecration, it's a word that's also translated as sanctify. That Jesus goes, listen, I, um, I consecrate myself for their sake. For their sake, I consecrate. I set myself apart. That's the meaning of the word, to set apart. But, but in the Bible, we find that in the Bible, that it has religious overtones to it. That, that it's part of the covenant, that when we set ourselves apart, when we consecrate ourselves, it's, it's a connection to worshiping God, to, to being a part of God's plan. We set ourselves. So Jesus here is saying, I consecrate myself for their sake. Well, in some ways, that applies to all of Jesus's life, that he set himself apart. He became a part of God's mission in this world for their sake. He set himself apart for, he set himself apart for God's mission for their sake. We can also see it being applied to the crucifixion and the resurrection. Jesus sets himself apart in this covenant relationship that God has established in this world. He, Jesus sets himself apart to die for their sins and to be raised from the dead and to conquer death uh, as well. So these people, these 11, they are beneficiaries of that consecration. All this can be wrapped up then that Jesus fulfilled his promises to the disciples. Do you remember when he first welcomed them in? When he first made that invitation? He said, come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And here, by, by, the, uh, by the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, they have this whole new God-given identity. There's an additional part of their identity that comes to us from the passage. It, it, it partners with their God-given identity, and it happens to be their faith response identity. 
So if part of it is God moving on their behalf, doing all these different things for them, setting these 11 apart with this new identity, then, then we find that in their response to what God has done, they're showing their identity as well, their faith response identity. And so in verse 6, we're told that they kept God's word. These are keepers of God's word. It's that same word they watched over, they, um, they kept their eye on, they, they lived within God's word, they kept God's word. Then we find in verses 7 and 8 that they get that Jesus is from God. They get it. You know, we, um, we have that concept of, uh, you know, if you're the person who, who gets something, or like, like you can get a joke. Now, please, don't leave here going, you know, Bob equated Jesus with a joke. Um, no, I, did, I didn't do that. That's not what I said. That, that it, it's the same thing. You know when you get a joke and when you don't get a joke? It, when, you're, when you get a joke, you're on the inside. You're participating with it. You, you grasp it. You get it. And when, you're, when you don't get a joke, it's just awkward for everybody, for, for you and for the joke giver, and they're all kind of... And here, they're the ones who get Jesus. He says, listen, they know that I have come from you. They know that I have, you have sent me into this world. They get Jesus. And then we're told also in 14 and 16, we've mentioned this in their list, uh, their God-given identity, that they're not of this world. But here, we can also apply it to their faith response identity. They're not of this world. They're making a choice. Even as God has provided their new identity in the kingdom of heaven, they're making a choice to say, we're not of this world. We belong to God. And then in verse 14, Jesus says, they're hated by the world. They're hated by the world. Um, we can see why that is. We've talked about it many times before, that, that Jesus comes into this world and, and he teaches stuff that just contrasts with the way that the world works. The world is, uh, you know, if you want to be the first, well, be the best. And, and Jesus goes, listen, if you want to be first, be the servant of all. It's kind of an upside-down world that Jesus describes, that Jesus calls people into. I don't know if uh, you've been doing this in your household, but Vicky and I have been uh, fans of Stranger Things, the, next, the net, Netflix show. We like sci-fi. This year's uh, season is kind of scary. Um, the whole premise of the show is that there's this small town in Indiana, but just underneath that small town in Indiana is an upside-down world. And these gates open up between it and these doorways. And, and what they find is that in that upside-down world, in the upside-down, there are scary things and monsters and things to be feared. And, and so there's this battle that the, that the world wants to fight and keep this upside-down world from entering it. But when Jesus comes into the world, he brings and reveals the kingdom of heaven. And the, this world here lives in fear of it. When those doorways open to the kingdom of heaven, this world goes, wait a minute, you're messing with us. You want the, the, the best to be the, the servant of all? You want to prioritize forgiveness? You want to prioritize grace and submission? We don't, we don't like that. That's scary to us. And so the world hates the followers of Jesus, just as they hate Jesus as he brings in that new world. 
So we have these two identities, the God-given identity, the faith response identity. If you were, as you, as you listened through that, did, did you, did you recognize that these 11 disciples are also you? In fact, if you're sitting in that plane and you've got four of these uh, people in front of you and two to your left and one to your right and four behind you, that you are the same as them, that the things that Jesus would notice in those 11 individuals, if you're a follower of Christ, he notices them in you as well. Clearly, Jesus in this passage is praying for the 11. But even now, as fellow disciples of Jesus with them, fellow followers of Jesus, we can see Jesus praying for us as well. That we can even know at this point that that the very same things that were said about their God-given identity would be true about you, are true about you if you're a follower of Christ. And hopefully, our faith response is also one that is marked by keeping God's word and getting who Jesus is and not being of this world. In fact, as a result, even being hated by this world. That's the who. If we look at the what, if we look at the what, it's all about what does Jesus pray for? You know, modern prayer lists often focus, especially in small groups and life groups and Sometimes when Bible studies gather, and sometimes on the prayer chain, they often focus on physical healing and the end of suffering. By the way, that's fantastic. The Bible calls us to pray for such things and invites us to talk to God about such things. But if, as you were listening to and participating in the prayer that Joss led us in this morning, that there are additional things we can pray for, spiritual things that, that are about our relationship with God in our witness in this world. Such is the case with Jesus' prayer for the disciples. Here's what we find. There's three things that really amount to one thing. Here's what Jesus prays. He talks to the Father and he says this. This is in verse 11. He says, keep them in your name. Do you notice those two words are there? Keep? Would you watch over them? Would you keep your eye on them? Would you guard them? And keep them in your name, which is say, keep them in your character. Keep them in your way. These are my disciples. These are the ones you gave me. They belong to you. They belong to me. They're not of this world. In fact, they're hated by this world. Would you keep them in your character? Would you keep them in your way? And he says, would you keep them from the evil one? As you keep them in your way, would you keep them away from the one who would want to pull them away from you? Would you keep them going in your path according to your name and keep the evil one from pulling them away? And then finally in verse 17 he says, sanctify them, consecrate them. It's the same word. Sanctify them, consecrate them in the truth. And what is the truth? Remember, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That Jesus reveals the character of the Father And so keep them in your way, keep the evil one away, and sanctify them right here, right in your truth, that they would continue in that relationship. The three prayers, keep them in your name, keep them from the evil one, sanctify them in truth, in the truth. You know, um, maybe you already picked up on something like this, that in some ways Jesus is essentially praying Psalm 23 for them. He's essentially praying Psalm 23 for them. Listen to Psalm 23 real quickly. Listen, listen to this. David wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your way. You know, listen, when they walk through the valley of the uh, shadow of death, that, that would you keep them? Keep the evil one away? Would you lead them to green pastures? Would you lead them by still waters? Would you keep them and keep the evil one away and sanctify them in the truth? We could look at a bunch of different places where Jesus is essentially praying the same thing. We could even look at the, the greatest commandments. You know, the, uh, what are the two great, greatest commandments? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all, um, all your soul, all your strength. And that you would love your neighbor as yourself. That's the way. Jesus is praying, Father, keep them in the greatest commandments. Father, keep them in the greatest commandments. And, and would you keep the evil one from keeping them away from the greatest commandments, from distracting them? And would you, would you consecrate them in the truth? Jesus praying these passages over them in his prayer of keeping and sanctifying. Then we finally get to the why. The why. Out of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for these 11, and again, picture yourself in that, that aircraft, and you have four of them in front of you, two to your left, one to your right, and four behind you. And out of all the things that Jesus could pray for these individuals, he prays those three things. Why? It, it turns out that there is a because reason and a so that reason. A because reason. Here's the because reason. Jesus is passing the torch of mission. Here's why he prays these things, because Jesus is passing the torch of mission. He says in verses 11 and 13 that, that he's going to the Father. So Jesus came into this world, all about God's mission in this world. Now he says, listen, I'm leaving. I, I, I'm no longer in the world. I'm going to be gone. And then in verses 11 and 18, he says that his disciples are in the world. In fact, in verse 18, he says, I send them, I have sent them into the world. Why does he pray these things about keeping them? It's because they have a purpose in this world, and that's the mission of God. And he prays these specific things that the followers of, that his followers would be able to live out that mission. But there's also a so that. If that's the because, there's a so that reason. And the so that reason is this, they would have the fellowship of joy the fellowship of joy, that these disciples would, would, would experience this fellowship that is, is full of joy. He puts it this way, verse 11, that they may be one even as the Father and the Son are one, even as you and I are one, Father, that they may be one, that that same kind of connection, that same kind of intimacy and, and fellowship, that they may be one. And then in verse 13, he says that they may have the joy of Jesus completed in them, that they would have, Jesus said, my joy completed, brought to full blossom, brought to its end point, that, that its fullness, the fullness of Jesus' joy would be in them. Why these prayers? 
why, God, why would God keep them and watch over them and keep his eye on them and keep them in his name, keep them in his way, keep the evil one away from them? Why would he sanctify them? Well, because they have taken up the torch of God's mission and Jesus wants them to enjoy the fellowship of joy. Jesus prayed to the most powerful cultural influencer of all, to God Almighty, God the Father, who is all sovereign, has all authority, the creator of all things. All things revolve around God. And it turns out you happen to be a friend of one who's in the intimate inner group of God, the second person of the Trinity. And even as we saw that the identity of those 11 sitting around you, that those 11, that you're just like them. If you're a follower of Christ, you have their identity. You share a God-given identity with them and a faith response identity. And so Jesus prays for you. He intercedes on your behalf, on my behalf. Father, keep them in your name. Father, keep them from the evil one. Father, set them apart. Set them apart in the truth, your truth. Listen, we go from this room, we go knowing that God has a mission for us, that those 11 sitting around us, it's just not just their mission, that we're going to find out next week that we believe through them. And in that same mission, that torch has been passed on to us. And it turns out God wants us to enjoy that joy as well. So this week, may we be guided by God's name. May our faith response to the identity that God has given us in Jesus Christ, may we keep his word. May we choose not to be of this world, even if the world hates us. May we represent the goodness of God each day of the coming week. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful that Jesus did indeed come into this world and has accomplished these things such that we would take on a new identity. We thank you that, that those 11 disciples received that new identity and that they responded in faith and that we are the beneficiaries of their response. God, would you be with us that we wouldn't shy away from your mission, that we would stay in your way, that we would live according to your character and so be lights to this world? Would you keep the evil one away from us? And God, would you set us apart? Would you set us apart within the covenant that you've given us, within the relationship you've established? Would you set us apart in your truth, the truth, and may our lives bring you glory. We pray this in Christ's name.